This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 53, A New Perspective with Les Himmel, Part 2. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious. Be stable. Be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to uh, part two with Les Himmel. Uh, I'm your host, Mark Willis, and in the studio with me is Holly Bach. Hello. And Katrina Willis. Hello. So let's jump right back in. Les has so much to share with us. I don't want us to miss a minute. Uh, again, Les Himmel is a, uh, you know, a, really a, a guru of uh, the financial industry for over four decades. He's been involved on Wall Street for about uh, two-thirds of that time and has, has been able to see truly what's going on uh, in the Wall Street arena. And specifically, he, I think, is very articulate in how he communicates the problems and the fallacies uh, that most people just take as you know, truths from their investment advisors or their broker dealers or their, you know, uh, the, the magazines that they read or the books that they, they read or, or people they listen to on the radio. Uh, so let's jump right back in to, I think, a very uh, interesting conversation, uh, and uh, we'll take it from there. Les, welcome back to Not Your Average Financial Podcast. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to be here. You know, after our last conversation, I was trying to imagine any other area of life where we'd be willing to accept an average for something as important as our financial life. And, and I got to thinking about the metaphor of crossing a river. Uh, I don't know if this metaphor holds up totally uh, less, but imagine if you were told that this you know, very wide river, like the Mississippi River, for example, um, was an average of three feet deep. Would you feel comfortable walking into that water knowing that the average was only three feet deep, but not having no clue of the volatility of the depth of the river if you couldn't swim? Yeah, that's. There are so many ways to look at this, and I think that's that's valid. Um, the The problem is that people are looking toward their future, and want to be able to put food on the table when they're eighty years old. Mm-hmm. And they're listening to the gurus, thinking that whatever this guy tells me, because he's got letters letters and initials after his name, hopefully. Uh, so whatever he says, I'll do. And when I'm eighty years old, I'll have food on the table. But the problem is that we're not certain. We look at potential. We look at averages. We look at what if and forget about the what if part because we make assumptions based on what is favorable to us. That is, hey, this is what I want. This is what I need. So I'll have it because he helped me calculate something and I think I'll get there. Hmm. Well, so, so where do we go from here then from what we looked at last last week or in our last episode, you know, where do we go from here? Investments over the last many years have been extremely volatile. Stocks, bonds, volatility is part of our lives now. And if we're conventionally looking at a projection to tell us where we will be and what to expect, and it doesn't come true, if the compounding stumbles, do we gain or do we lose? based on what we expected. And the answer is we're in big time trouble. So again, back to my probably, you know, uh, anemic uh, uh, river metaphor, it'd be sort of like telling grandma and grandpa to cross that river because they have to get to the other side safely uh, and saying, hey, just walk in a straight line here. 
uh, and the average river depth is only three feet, you should be fine. You know, we, we see that 90% of grandmas and grandpas make it across safely. Isn't that a great Monte Carlo scenario for you, grandma, grandpa? All right, so here you go. Good luck. I got to believe there's a better way to do. So what do we do uh, with the with the time we have left in our episode here? I'd, I'd love to hear some more about either some more of the uh, troubles that that uh, you've stumbled across in your exposure and experience with Wall Street uh, and maybe even something about what we can do from here. Well, I would point out a couple of things. First, one more evil on Wall Street, and that is mutual funds. And I'm sure we'll, we'll find people complaining about what I'm about to say. But there is what's called macro diversification and micro diversification. Macro being um, back to the portfolio idea. If my stocks go down, my bonds shouldn't go in the same direction. Mm -hmm. If my stocks go down and my artwork shouldn't go in the same direction. If my antique cars go down, maybe the stock market goes up, but they're not correlated. If one is affected by something in the economic environment, the others shouldn't go in the same direction. That's macro diversification. Micro diversification is, for example, a mutual fund, let's say in the, in the tech sector, where you have 100 stocks all in the same sector, IBM and Cisco and Facebook and Google. But the idea is there, if one stock goes to zero, the other stocks absorb the pain. By the same token, if one stock goes up 10 times, the other stocks absorb the gain. So there are they're diversified so that you don't see a failure affecting everything in that sector or in that investment, but they're more or less going to go up or down together if the economy suffers or if that tech sector takes a hit. Okay, so moving on from there. I like that, micro and macro diversification, and it's right. important to remember to and have the- Micro diversification to me is over diversifying, mm -hmm. uh, but that's another subject for another day. So, so bonds, as we said, are subject to a number of different things. And what we're really trying to improve on is how do we get past that? The idea of having some of your money into stocks, I'm not opposed to that. I'm opposed to the percentages that are used. I'm opposed to age-based investing because it anticipates that bad times will come. And I don't think that's appropriate to assume just the way it's typically assumed. But how do we improve on a portfolio? Here's how. We can look at getting involved in what I would characterize as a business model, as opposed to a Wall Street model, to add consistency to our portfolio, consistency and direct compounding. What does that? Whole life insurance. Now, it's unfortunate that it's called whole life insurance or even life insurance, but we're taking advantage of section 7702 of the tax code, meaning I can put money into life insurance and have it compound, have it grow, have it do so in a tax-favored way. And as it grows through dividends, through accumulation of various means, it compounds directly and volatility is absolutely minimized. So what does that do for my portfolio? If I can assume that my portfolio was at least 50%, for example, growing regardless of what the economy does, then I can take a, a little bit more risk or at least fair risk, not impugning my retirement, the other portion of the portfolio as I take a chance on what the stock market does. Hmm. But the so idea is to give myself consistency and compounding. And I can't say that enough. The word compounding is huge. 
I have to give myself consistency in order to get the compounding necessary to modify the risk in my portfolio to give me the opportunity to get to where I need to go. So a lot of people listening to this may at this point be, if they haven't you know, already come to their own conclusions, think, well, how can whole life insurance of all things be so immune to you know, this volatility that you've been describing? I mean, it's still life insurance companies still exist in the real world, right? They're still exposing themselves to risk and so forth. How do we make sure that I mean, I don't know if you'd say that whole life grows in a straight line projection. It, it probably does or doesn't to some limited degree with dividends and so forth being changeable. But how do we know that you know the, this business model as opposed to Wall Street model helps us get to where we want to go? Well, let's look at what creates this particular business model. The life insurance industry is the only industry I can think of that is regulated with an idea to have it exist into the next millennium because it's the fabric of our society. It is a huge part of what makes people, let's call it safe. The idea of regulators in every state permitting or ensuring, again, the continued existence of that business, that's number one. In order to do so, the business is conservative, typically conservative, that's number two. We only use for the type of policies that make sense to me for this sort of thing, whole life insurance, but it's not just any whole life insurance. It's not credit sensitive whole life insurance. It's not direct recognition whole life insurance. It is non-direct recognition whole life insurance with a mutual company where I become a, an owner in theory of that business and I therefore participate in the profitability of that business annually. Hmm. Now, whether we talk about dividends being a return on premium or the other technical aspects of it, the point is that I'm participating. And how do I participate? Where does the money come from? Don't these businesses have to invest in the market? Here's what happens. Yes, these businesses invest in the market with cash or some sort of asset, but their typical investments include commercial real estate, include bonds, and usually minimally the stock market. Every company I deal with has substantially less than 5% of their assets on their portfolio side, on their investment side in the stock market. Well, if that's the case, the profit from this particular, what's called a general account will roll into what we're creating every year to pay dividends or profits is called the pool, the dividend pool. Well, where does the other money come from that goes into this dividend pool? The second area, after the, the profits from the, the investment portfolio, is called budgeted expenses. If I know it's going to cost a company a million dollars to open their doors in the year 2017, and they only spend 900000 the difference is profit that rolls into the pool. But the third area is, to me, fairly important. And that is what's called claims experience. Now, again, it's a conservative business. It's regulated. And their model is to collect premiums on insurance and pay out claims. The difference between the two is their profit on their business model. Well, that profit rolls into the dividend pool. The business, or rather, the uh, dividend pool at this point is divided up on a pro rata basis based on a number of factors, 
in your or on your policy should you own one and every year as that policy matures as it gets older as you get older the dividend grows along with the growth of the model of the policy well over time that creates fairly consistent approach to life for the growth of that policy so how much growth is there over the last uh, 20 or 30 years i guess the policies of the companies i work with have shown a tax-free growth of somewhere between three and a half and five percent and before we talk about return on investment the models the policies that is have to age you're buying into a business in the first few years of that business you should expect that it's going to cost you something to get it rolling but as time goes on three and a half to five percent in today's environment tax-free or tax benefited how does that compare to the stock market or a taxable series of income pieces it'll compare to somewhere between let's call it seven and nine percent so what i hear you saying there less two things one uh to compare a three and a half to five percent after tax return uh, we'd have to lay that next to other places we could put our money such as a tax qualified account like an ira or 401k or a brokerage account which would be taxed on gains and uh, not laying aside the volatility and all that we've already discussed just the tax nature you know we don't have to work quite as hard when it's an after-tax account like a bank on yourself or a whole life policy and um so that that's an eye-opener for me the other thing i really think you said that struck me was just the idea of business model versus wall street model uh, i really like that because if i if i was gonna say become a partner in a law firm or if i was going to buy into a business that had been around for a hundred years shown profits for a hundred years you better believe they're going to want me to front some cash to become a partner in that business uh, they're not just going to let me jump into that thing without showing or coming to the table with something uh, so i get it i think i think that's a great way to understand the cost of insurance not to mention the the liability to the insurance company if you pass away in the first year um, but the reason for that cost is real and it makes total sense and you know if i knew what my cost was going in um, you know maybe i can make an informed decision uh, as to whether or not i wanted to put that whole life policy into my portfolio sure and there's one more aspect to this and again as people say well three and a half five percent i can do better than that the stock market went up 23 percent last year or the s p did it changed by 23 percent to be more specific but right, here's right. the key let's look back over many years has it returned 23 percent or changed 23 percent annually no the cumulative rate of return on the s p in a taxable way is something closer to four and a half four and five eighths percent less than five percent and before we get into whether it was with dividend or ex dividend that's not part of the the conversation for now but it is wildly volatile and the result is without consistent compounding so three and a half to five percent on a compound basis in a low interest rate environment is remarkable and actually 
while you might find the occasional nugget in the stock market, the overall approach with mutual funds and your blended portfolios, you will, it'll be very difficult to beat what I'm describing. Sure. And well, when you're 82 years old, you'd like to know where you're going to be sitting and whether or not you're going to be suffering based on volatility of the market. Les, I love that. Um, and just because I want to see how far I can swing my, my river metaphor, I'm imagining this three and a half to five foot average, right? As, as we've been describing after tax, walking across my river in a consistent, predictable fashion. And if I want to keep some money in the market, uh, I imagine that, you know, as sort of like, all right, there's a little, um, you know, shallow part of the river or deep part of the river where I could go fishing for some extra return, right? Uh, as I cross that river safely and without risk, uh, you know, you've, you've, what you've done here, Les, is you've given me the capacity to take on additional risk with some of my money, um, the money that I, maybe I can afford to lose, let's say. Uh, but, you know, as we're kind of wrapping up here and putting kind of some final thoughts together here, what, what would you say is a um, something to give people, I guess, uh, a, a fresh insight on whole life insurance? If this is their first time to even see this as an asset class or a place to put their money or to park their cash or to pack money away for the future. Um, is there anything that you would say helps, you know, uh, clarify why whole life insurance deserves a spot in their portfolio? It actually, let's look at it this way. I think whole life insurance, again, the type I've described or mentioned briefly, I think that should be the core of everyone's portfolio, whether they're ultra wealth. And by the way, the wealthy do use this. But it should be the core of the portfolio, especially if this represents your retirement plan. It should not be a piece of it. It should be the piece of it. Mm. And the idea is somewhere between 50 and 75% should be this. Why? Because you want to know where you're going to be. And because volatility, while you may find it exciting when you're 25 years old, thinking that this is the way it works, over time, you will end up bloodied. And the, uh, the, to me, the concept of consistency, the concept of knowing where you're going to be for the most part becomes increasingly important as you age. Is it because you become less risk prone? Probably. But why? Through experience. And through my experience, that's what I come out with. I spent years on Wall Street playing with people's money as well as my own. And I can assure you that having a basis with a planned and reasonably expected outcome is enormous but more important to the to the question you've you've asked i would suggest that we work backwards i think financial planning works in the wrong way i think we should be looking at when you're 82 where do you want to be how do we get there as opposed to what are you doing to become wealthy and that's where most of the models are what are you going to do to become wealthy? When you're 82, of course we'd like to be wealthy. The word wealth should come up all the time. But let's work backwards and say, in order to be here, what do I have to do back there to make sure it happens? Not if, but let's make sure. And now on top of that, let's shoot for the moon. Les, I, I love that, and you're, you couldn't be more right. If you know, if we even if we're looking at how to get from you know New York to LA, it takes 
knowing our destination before we hop on a highway just because it's headed west, it might not end us up in LA, right? So how do we go from where we are today to where we want to go and starting with the end in mind? And I hear you. I think whole life insurance is one of the only places I can imagine where your money is going to be given a set of guarantees uh, and predictable return, you know, predictable changes in value, if you want to call it that. But it's a, it's a real, you said earlier, return of premium, you know, is what our dividends are. And that's precisely the case. It's, it's basically a strict and set schedule, a unilateral contract with an insurance company that they can't weasel out of. Uh, and I just think that's awesome. I think, you know, you're right. Putting more, uh, putting more of your portfolio into something like this helps you hit your goal, which isn't that why we're doing what we're doing, all of us? Right. And we get guarantees, don't we? Yeah. So, and yeah, the, yeah, that's great. And the idea of um, putting our money into something that gives us that core sense of guaranteed return, and in this case it is return, but the idea of being in a position to actually now take a risk, as you point out, with, I wouldn't say reckless abandon, but certainly the ability to sleep at night because the amount of money we might lose in a very bad scenario is not going to destroy us if we know exactly what the core of our approach is going to do. And we should all be looking at it that way. There, there are three basic ages in my mind to what happens during our working lives. And unfortunately, to start the example from the wrong end, when we're in our 50s and above, we don't want to be in a position to be embarrassed and intimidated by what we haven't accomplished in the earlier years. Let me point how this goes. From 20 to 35, we're feeling immortal, and we're feeling like risk is our nature, is in our nature, and whatever we're going to do, we have not only time to make up any losses, but we're great. We're going to make it happen. We are. We know what to do. That's 20 to 35. From 35 to 50, we are struggling to pay the bills. We have a young family. We want to make sure we do the right thing, but we can't put money into a meaningful portfolio because we just have too much on our plate right now. We have to pay the bills to get to where we're going. From 50 and above, we're starting to feel intimidated and embarrassed by what we haven't accomplished. Now, this is very broad, very generalized, but the real problem is the understanding of what it takes to get where we want to go. And it just becomes progressively worse as we age because we're starting to feel like we should have, but didn't. And ironically, putting money into these plans, the earlier you start, the cheaper it is. Hmm. So what we have to do is look at it as, look, we have to put it all together. The HR guy doesn't have all the answers. What we really have to do is look away from what has become the conventional wisdom of 401ks and similar accounts and look to what actually does the best for us. And so, well, one more thing, if we have a 401k and something happens to us, what does the family get? Yeah. The 401k and taxes and all the rest of that with what we're, I'm proposing, what we're proposing with the core of our, our plan, including insurance, what does the family get? The earlier, the bigger the multiple. Yeah, that's right. Well, Les, that's, that is so true. Uh, there is so much more that, that we could certainly discuss, and we no, no doubt we'll have opportunity to in the future. Um, 
as we finalize everything here, what are some, what's a way, the best way that our audience can reach out to you if they'd like to discuss this matter further with you or, you know, uh, clarify anything you've said here or just keep up with uh, all that you're up to these days? Uh, the website is himmelfinancial.com, H-I-M-E-L financial.com. Uh, there are contact uh, bits Great. of information there. There was also a blog, which I hope to uh, dedicate more effort to. But that's the easiest way to get in touch. And your your articles you've written so far, I've, I've I subscribe, and and they're tremendous. So yeah, keep writing, keep telling, uh, keep telling us the truth about what's going on behind the curtain in Wall Street. And thank you, Les, for joining us for this episode today. Wow. So uh, as you can tell, Les has a lot to share with, uh, with all of us. And I think if we take his ideas to heart, we can find brand new ways of saving and protecting your money and also achieving your goals, which isn't that the whole point uh, in your financial life. So, uh, you know, I, I'm just curious, uh, Katrina, uh, what were some of your takeaways from Les's interview? Yeah, I was surprised about the baby boomers. I mean, it makes a lot of sense that for the first time in United States history, we have such an expansion demographically, and it affected the financial dynamics that we see. And we've based a lot of our principles of finance on this demographic expansion. Um, so that, but we know that the baby boomers are not continuing. You know, this this exponential trend, right? This is this is a special moment in time. And to change all the rules to bend to this boomer generation, um, it's it's stunning, really. I, you look at it from 1980 to 2000, that graph where there's this huge just jump up mm -hmm. um, in the Dow Jones industrial average. Amazing. I mean, we haven't seen that in the history of the United States. Yeah, I mean, this really this chart belongs, I think, on everyone's desk if they're going to be involved in the stock market because it keeps things in great perspective. Again, I'm looking at 1929 there, and it almost looks like someone, you know, maybe has a little, you know, a wrinkle in the carpet. Also, <laughs> I mean, that's the Great Depression, right? And then 1987, I can't even really see. Black Monday is almost like a, just a, a hair and on this wild swing upward. And, and I've heard people talk about baby boomers sort of like uh, the pig that uh, is going through a python. You know, if you can imagine a snake eating a, a big animal, you see that big lump going through the snake. Right, Nelson that's, Nash. Yeah, yeah, Nelson Nash is quoted as that. And and I think that's so true. I mean, I'm looking at this giant lump going through our stock market's history. And, uh, you know, it, it has to do with the baby boomers. And now, of course, all these baby boomers are finding ways and having to take money out of their 401ks and IRAs and all these trillions of dollars leaving the stock market. Yeah. Um, what about you, Holly? What were some takeaways you heard from Les? I just loved the fact that he brought up this idea of, you know, volatility and compound growth and how volatility affects your compound growth. Um, it's actually something that I've always found to be fairly intriguing. I've actually put together my own charts and graphs showing this dynamic that if you can get uninterrupted compound growth, even a smaller uh, return, but uninterrupted compound growth, I mean, it is just, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's this its magnificent, like, exponential curve that just goes on. It gets to a point where it looks like a wall, mm -hmm. and it's like, that's your money. That's mm -hmm. your money going up. And, like, every year, it's just like, whoosh, and it just takes off, and it's it's great. Um, and, and how he describes how volatility affects that, though. You no longer have this beautiful curve. You no longer have that wall. That wall doesn't exist when there's volatility involved, because every time you sustain a loss, it's cutting into that it's it's just destroying um, that that dynamic that's at play and so I love that he touched on that and 
um, that he kind of just discussed that in, in the way that he did. Um, I even put together a whole presentation on it because I just love that topic. Um, so, yeah. Oh, well, maybe you're teasing us for a future episode there. Huh? Oh, we'll yes. see. Very we'll cool. see. <laughs> well, uh, so again, we want to thank you guys for joining us for another episode. Uh, we will be back with more content in the future. I can't wait to share what, our, what we're doing next on this uh, podcast. So thank you for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.